At Element Church, we today marks week two of a series that we have entitled Miraculous Births. Now, we all recognize that Christmas is a time where we celebrate the birth of Jesus, no doubt um, a birth miraculous on many levels and for many different reasons. But in this series, what we're doing is we're actually taking a look throughout the entire Bible, um, a book that was written over the course of about 1,600 years, um, telling the story of a number of different people groups and how they all come together under God's plan, and looking at a number of times in which the Lord stepped in and did something incredible surrounding someone's birth. And we're looking at these stories and allowing them to sort of teach us more about who God is and his character and his heart and his plan for us. Now, as we go along this morning, all the scriptures that we're going to cover are going to be on the screen for you. But if you'd rather follow along, you can scan this QR code and open up the Bible app uh, or open it up on a web page on your phone. And you can follow along with everything that we're going to talk about. Some of the announcements that Monica mentioned a minute ago, if you have prayer requests that you'd like to share, if you're a guest with us and would love to let us know more about you by filling out a connection card, you can do all of those inside the Bible app, um, as well as have information about all the announcements that Monica just made right there at your fingertips. Um, last week, we talked about the birth of Moses and how God protected Moses from the anger of his king or the Pharaoh who wanted to destroy Moses and other people like Moses because they were a threat to his power and his authority. Much like King Herod, uh, a few uh, years and at the tail end of, of uh, B.C. era, wanted to destroy Jesus because Jesus represented um, a threat to his power and his authority. And we see that God miraculously provided for Moses to keep him safe so that he could use Moses one day to set his people free. In the same way that we see God protecting Jesus in order to set the stage for in the future using Jesus to set his people free. Today we're going to turn our attention to another birth, the birth of a man named Samuel. Now, some of you will be familiar with this story or even who Samuel is. And some of you, this will be your first exposure to who he is at all. You've never heard his story. And you'll be in good company because we're going we're gonna to pick up the story of his birth from the very beginning. And so we're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 1. So already we sort of get a picture that this guy's going to be a big deal because eventually he's going to get two books in the Bible named after him. But before we can have him step on the stage and uh, lead in a, in a really incredible way, he's got to be born. So the story's going to start with his birth. And so we're going to start with a man, it will be his eventual father, named Elkanah. And Elkanah um, has two wives, and that's weird, but we'll talk about that in a minute. And so we're going to start the story in verse 2. And so talking about Elkanah, it says he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, let me just set the stage for a minute, because obviously we already have a huge cultural divide between us and what we consider normal and acceptable um, and what's taking place in this story. So to set the stage, this is happening in roughly 1200 B.C., so roughly 3200 years before. Now, 
what we see is that any time in ancient history, and especially some of the stories that we read in the Bible, that somebody has more than one wife. It never goes well with them. This was not a part of God's original design or plan for his people. But sometimes people would step outside of God's design, trying to take control of their own situation. So most likely, Hannah is Elkanah's first wife. And the reason we would think that is because she's listed first. And in ancient literature, especially literature written roughly 3,200 years ago, um, those who are listed first are of more importance. And so Hannah was probably his first wife. And the fact that she couldn't have children is probably the reason why he married someone else. Now, here's what I want us to do. Rather than focus as on focusing on the multiple marriages and how weird and different that is, I want to stop and look at and think about something else. And I want this to settle in for just a moment for you. This part of the story. But Hannah had no children. Some of you know or have known this pain. You wanted children. For whatever reason, it just wasn't working out. Or you felt the pain of having fertility issues. Or of it taking far longer than you had planned. Of dealing with miscarriages. And the weight and the difficulty and the pain that comes with that. Now, I know Christmas is a happy time. I know it's a time full of Laughter and joy and jolly. But can we all be honest for a minute? Sometimes the holidays aren't joyful. Sometimes the holidays are difficult. Sometimes the holidays remind us of who's no longer at the dinner table. Of what once was but isn't any longer. Maybe you had hopes and expectations of what the holidays would look like in your future in 2021 and now you're there and they don't look like that. Yes, Christmas is a joyous season, but can we be honest for a minute that sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's difficult and sometimes we don't have all the answers. Listen, the story will get better but before we get there, can we just recognize the pain and the challenge and the difficulty that Hannah felt? About all the pressure that was on her from society and her culture at the time. Who told her something was wrong with her. Who led her husband to go find someone else because she couldn't do for him what she, he wanted. Can we just recognize the pain that she felt in this moment? And it gets worse. Let's move on to the next few verses. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And so it went on year by year. As though Hannah needed a reminder, she had one routinely. 
of someone who wanted to, to sort of put a finger in the wound, to remind her of what was wrong and what wasn't coming true and what, all the hopes that had been dashed. Now this is the setting, this is the scene that we get for this story. And so what happens here is, um, in the Old Testament, we see a number of different offerings. And sometimes you would bring an offering to the temple and you would leave it all there. Sometimes you'd bring an offering and you would burn some of it. You would leave some of it for the priests. That's how they ate. And then you would take some of it home and you could eat the rest of it yourself. And so this is probably like a peace offering. This is what Elkanah is doing. And he's giving double portions to Hannah because he feels bad for her and he loves her even though she can't bear children. Then we move on in the story. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Now here, when she talks about no razor touching his head, that's just a special vow that people would make, sometimes a commitment as a way of expressing devotion to the Lord uh, a long time ago. Notice it says, she was deeply distressed and wept bitterly. As a matter of fact, she wept so bitterly, we're not looking at it today, but in the next few verses, Eli the priest walks into the temple and thinks Hannah's drunk. She's so out of control and he's like, lady, this is not appropriate in the temple like to come in here and be drinking. And she's like, no, 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 you don't understand how brokenhearted I am. This isn't about alcohol. This is about a broken heart. When Eli realizes she was just so broken, then he began to encourage her and pray for her as well. And then here's how this part of the story closes. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord, and they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. Now, I hope you can read between the lines and you know what that means. If you don't, I want you to go home and ask your parents today. Do not come ask me after church because that is not a part of my job description if you don't know what that means. And Elkanah knew his wife, And the Lord remembered her, and in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Samuel sounds like the Hebrew from heard of God, or God heard me. And Hannah remains faithful to the vow she made. After she uh, weans Samuel, she brings him to Eli the priest, the very priest that she talked with in the temple that day when she was weeping. And she says, here, I'm leaving him in your care to serve the Lord all the days of his life. And I want to read for you a poem that Hannah writes as an expression of her gratitude and thankfulness for God answering her prayer. And this poem is going to start in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel It says, and then Hannah prayed, my heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. 
Stop acting so proud and haughty. Don't speak with such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows what you've done. He will judge your actions. The bow of the mighty is now broken, and those who stumbled are now strong. Those who were well-fed are now starving, and those who were starving are now full. The childless woman now has seven children, and the woman with many children wastes away. The Lord gives both death and life. He brings some down to the grave, but raises others up. The Lord makes some poor and others rich. He brings some down and lifts others up. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes, placing them in seats of honor. For all the earth is the Lord's, and he has set the world in order. He will protect the faithful ones, but the wicked will disappear in darkness. No one will succeed by strength alone. Those who fight against the Lord will be shattered. He thunders against them from heaven. The Lord judges throughout the earth. He gives power to his king. He increases the strength of his anointed one. And this is a poem that just expresses what Hannah is feeling. That What she recognizes is that when everyone else says the situation's hopeless, when the world says it's impossible, God can step in and turn everything upside down. When we look at people and say they're, they're successful, that's who we want to be, we recognize that the Lord can step in and say, no, 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 I have a different standard. I'm going to do my own thing. And Hannah begins to just express her gratitude for God's faithfulness to someone who everyone else had forgotten and counted out. And so what does God do? In order to express that God had heard her cries for help, in order to communicate that he saw the struggle that she was in, to remind her that God had not abandoned nor forgotten her, what did God do? He sent the gift of a baby boy. Isn't that exactly what we celebrate at Christmas? That in the sending of a baby boy, God expresses he has not forgotten or abandoned us. That he has heard our cries for help. That he has seen our pain and affliction and has said, I have not forgotten you or abandon you. I want you to look with me in Matthew chapter 1, in which we get the beginning story of the birth of Jesus. It says, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being just a man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. When we started the service this morning, I read from Isaiah chapter 9. This is a quote directly from Isaiah chapter 7, written some 750 years before Jesus would show up on the scene. And as Matthew is telling the story of Jesus, he begins reflecting back on some of the things that God had said in the past and recognizing that what God had said 
almost eight centuries before, was not just significant then, it had become significant now. When the birth of Jesus, this miraculous birth, is announced, the angel tells Joseph, you're going to call him two things. One, you're going to call him Jesus, which literally means Yahweh rescues, Yahweh saves. Yahweh was the the name for God that they used in the Old Testament, that God saves, God rescues. And you're also going to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but sometimes we spell Emmanuel with an I, and sometimes we spell Emmanuel with an E, and you may have wondered, like, which one's right and wrong, and they're back, actually both correct. Um, one of them takes its original spelling, it's transliterated from Hebrew, uh, which is what the Old Testament was written in, and it begins the word with the equivalent, it's not quite the same thing, but the equivalent of our letter I, and in Greek, it's transliterated, and in Greek it starts with the letter, our equivalent of the letter E. So you can spell it with an E or an I, same word, same meaning, both correct. But Emmanuel means God with us. At the announcement of the birth of Jesus, this angel says, God is with us. That is what this baby boy will represent. That God is coming to live and dwell among you. That he has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten the situation that you're in. You will call him Jesus. God rescues. Because God sees the situation you're in. And you will call him Emmanuel. Because God is coming to be with you. And what might be one of the most well-known and famous verses in the New Testament, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Just as we talked about last week with Moses, that God protected the life of Moses so that he could use Moses to set his people free. They were in physical slavery and bondage in the nation of Egypt. And in the same way, God preserved the life of Jesus so that one day he could lead his people free. The Bible talks about that you and I, though we may physically think we're free, internally we're slaves to our own desires and to sin, but that Jesus has come to set us free, to rescue us, that by sending his son, by sending this baby boy, God has said, I have not forgotten you or abandoned you. I'm here to rescue you. God said, I am faithful. And I'll send this baby boy as my sign. I want to read one last verse out of 2 Corinthians 1.20. Talking about Jesus, I love this line. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Jesus is God's answer, yes, to all the promises he's ever made. 
to all the requests that we've ever asked for. When we ask for help, when we, when we ask, God, are you listening? Do you hear me? Do you see the situation I'm in? Do you recognize the struggle that is my life? God's answer is yes. And in every yes, it is centered on Jesus. And that is why through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. For every promise finds their yes in him. For Hannah, God sent this son as a way to say to her and to everyone else who was watching her and making fun of her and judging her, I have not forgotten you. I have not abandoned you. I am here for you. And in the same way, we celebrate every year at Christmas that God has said that to not just Hannah, but to all of us through the birth of Jesus. I am here. I have not forgotten you. I have not abandoned you. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for coming to be for us what we could not be for ourselves. To come and be the solution to our problem. The light in the midst of our darkness. That steady, firm foundation when everything else in our world is crumbling and falling away. That for all those times that we wonder and question Do you see us? Do you hear us? Do you know about our struggle? Do you even care? Your answer is yes. And that answer came in your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for coming and being that yes. To remind us that we have not been abandoned. We have not been forgotten. And Lord, that is why we give our hearts and our lives to you. Because you're worthy. Because you've earned it. Lord, in our minds and in our hearts, would you be honored by the way that we think about you, by the way that we follow and honor you by all that we do. As we celebrate this season that special and holy night. We pray this in your name. Amen. As we close this morning, we're going to close with one final song as a way to reflect and to remember that special night, that night that Jesus was born when this, everything about this world changed. When God put a name and a face to his rescue plan for us. And so I invite you, as we close this morning, to sing with us as we celebrate the birth of Jesus together. So will you stand with us as we close in one final song?